global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father in heaven, we have to stand before you as the creator of the universe and just surrender ourselves to you. Many of us are just captured and caught up in a a spiral of addiction to media. And the most potent addictions that we see here in this area of media are especially the gaming issue that we're talking about today. And Lord, I pray that you'd give um, not a sense of condemnation to those receiving this message, but uh, compassion from, from you and from those of us reaching out. Give us wisdom, give us courage to stand for the, the truth and the right in this issue. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. My name is Todd Gardner, and if you're a regular listener to our broadcast, you've heard Scott speak passionately about his Media on the Brain DVD series, educating people on how the entertainment industry, and even our relationship with our cell phones, is reprogramming our brains in negative ways. Well, we're excited to bring you some excerpts from the Media on the Brain series in today's radio broadcast. I want to examine this question of addiction a little bit more carefully. Um, but, but first I need to mention, when it comes to an addiction, the addict literally has a brain disorder. Their, their brain is not functioning. It's not in order. It's disordered. It's not functioning like a normal human brain. The limbic system is very overdominant. The prefrontal cortex and the frontal lobe is very weak. And so these folks who are addicted need healing. They need compassion. They don't need condemnation. How did Jesus treat those who were in a situation in their lives that they had brought upon themselves, perhaps by their own lifestyle, but they needed healing. He had infinite compassion on them. And so we should have the same. Let's not view the addict as a weak-willed, immoral person. Their brains under scans don't look the same as ours. And and most of them are ashamed of their habit, and we can help them by by freeing them with this information. In fact, there are addiction recovery centers in countries all across the world. America is a little bit late on coming in on this, uh, but you can find them even, even in our country, in America where I'm from, especially East Asia, even the Netherlands, treatment centers for a very real illness, a very real mental illness of addiction to video gaming. Now let's talk about the brain a little bit so we can understand how an addiction works, how the, how the video gamer actually becomes so addicted to need this thing. It seems weird and silly to us. How does it happen? The reward pathway of the brain is what makes you have that feeling of, yes, I accomplished something, or yes, I did something good. Uh, I have the feeling of pleasure. It's a pleasure center of the brain. And the way that it's stimulated, the way that that circuit fires off is by the induction of dopamine. When dopamine hits the brain, that reward circuit fires off and you feel good. Now there are many different ways to fire this reward circuit. You can do it with drugs. Many people get addicted to cocaine, to alcohol, to cigarettes, nicotine, to caffeine, to whatever, and that drug is is chemically inducing a bit of a dopamine rush. It literally changes your brain chemistry so that you have more dopamine and you feel good. You feel like you've you've accomplished something or, or some pleasure has hit you. But there's another way that dopamine can hit the brain, and that's through a process reinforcer. 
of the reward circuitry of the brain. Not a chemical reinforcer, but a process reinforcer. And pleasure centers are stimulated from processes like eating unhealthy food, sexual things, even risk-taking and accomplishment and the acquisition of possessions. All of these things, people can get addicted to to gambling, they get addicted to shopping and, and, and unhealthy food. These processes can be very addicting as well. In fact, they can be just as addictive. There are a lot of similarities. Whether it's a behavioral addiction or a chemical one, whether it's a process addiction or a substance addiction, the same genes are involved in the human genome. Very interesting. Also, we read that the other studies have shown the game addict's brain, when thinking about the game, looks just like a drug addict's brain when thinking about the drug. So again, similarities between a chemical addiction and a process addiction. I think sometimes we put the process addictions down here like they're not as big of a deal. Oh, certainly they are. In fact, in many ways, they're a bigger deal. Drug-like effects come from playing video games before surgery. Uh, patients were more relaxed than if they, would, they had used tranquilizers just from playing a video game. And you might wonder, so if I play a video game, it's like being on a tranquilizer. In a way, chemically, that is what's happening. Speaking of drugs, chemically induced dopamine surges when given to human beings in the form of cocaine or another drug. Did you know that 15% of human beings who take these drugs become addicted? 15% of rats, similarly, also become addicted after trying drugs. Now let's compare a chemical versus a process dopamine surge. Unhealthy food, process addiction, right? 35% of all Americans are, are obese. And nearly all rats become addicted when, and obese when given standard American food. So according to this, the addictive pull of food is just as much or more than the addictive pull of drugs. And I'm talking about unhealthy food here. We're talking about the standard American diet. And with gaming, it's the same thing. Philip Zimbardo has pointed out that with these high-tech dopamine sources, boys' brains are being digitally rewired in a totally new way for change, novelty, excitement, and constant arousal. This means that they are totally out of sync in romantic relationships, which build gradually. So they need the constant, new, exciting, fulfilling, stimulating thing. And a normal human relationship is boring. It's not fast enough. I don't get fulfilled quickly enough like I do with that video game or that pornographic clip. And by the way, if that's hard to grow a relationship with a fellow human in today's world with the brains being retrained the way they have, How much more is it going to be difficult to build a relationship with Jesus Christ? So that's what I'm more concerned about than Philip Zimbardo's concern about the romantic relationships. This is a very serious thing. Back to dopamine. The little catcher of dopamine is called a receptor or a dopamine receptor. When you assault your brain with unnatural levels of dopamine, whether it's through a chemical that you take, through drugs, or whether it's through a process that you have, food, sex, uh, pornography, video gaming, gambling, you know, intense shopping experiences, whatever. You're just like, ah, you get this intense dopamine surge. And you know what your brain says? Your brain says, oh, whoa, 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 okay, dopamine is extremely plentiful right now. It's abundant. We don't need all these receptors, all those, those little catchers. So actually, at the bottom image here, your, your brain shuts down dopamine receptors. And that's a serious thing, because what happens is you binge on dopamine in some way. This numbs your pleasure response. And then you have cravings for more dopamine, which leads to more binging. And then even more of a numbed pleasure response. And then more strong cravings, and then more binging. And you see the cycle of addiction happening. And this is what's going on inside the brain. And this is why the person who's addicted to the thing feels like they need the thing in order to feel fulfilled, in order to have pleasure. One more thing on a study they did. Cocaine-addicted rats had their dopamine receptors returned to normal in only two days. So they took the rats off the, off the cocaine and dopamine receptors grew again. 
They sprouted new dopamine receptors. Pretty cool. But here's the thing about the food-addicted rats. The obese rats, when they were given their normal food back, they were uninterested in the normal food, and their dopamine receptors were still not back to normal two weeks later. So again, the food addiction, the process addiction, just as serious, or more in this case, in terms of the brain recovering from it, than, than a drug. When you use the go-for-it pathway and you don't use the think-about-it pathway, pathway the go-for-it pathway gets stronger and it dominates and it's a habit that forms. We're going to talk more about that in session six. But I want to take a look now at what the American Psychiatric Association says about addictions. They have a, a series of questions that they ask you. And if you can answer yes to three of these seven, then you may have an addiction, they say. The first one, and this could apply to anything, drugs or any of those processes. Do you have a tolerance for it? In other words, do you need more of it than you used to in order to get the same effects? Second question, do you ever feel withdrawal symptoms after stopping using it? Or do you ever use any other substance or activity to prevent the withdrawal symptoms? Third, do you ever use more of it than you had intended on? Fourth, have you ever tried to reduce your usage and found that you can't or that you soon find yourself using at the same level again? Do you have a preoccupation with it? Which means, do you spend a great deal of time thinking about and using it? Have you ever stopped participating in worthwhile activities that you used to enjoy? And have you ever continued use even in the face of adverse social or health consequences? Remember, if you can answer yes to three of those, you're in serious trouble. And this is what George Barnett did when he researched and polled Americans and he found out that media use was the most serious and widespread addiction in America today. It was a, that was a very shocking uh, revelation. Media use, that's a process addiction. It's very, very potent and serious, especially the gaming, especially the pornography. But think about that in your own life, whether or not you're in that situation or somebody you love. How to diagnose a gaming addiction? Kevin Roberts goes a little further. He has a 20-question thing, and he says, if you can answer yes to four of these in his experience and all of his counseling of gaming addicts, then you have a gaming addiction. First, if you don't know how much time you've actually been playing the game, if you lie about the game, if you disrupt your sleep patterns because of the game, if you have intense cravings, withdrawing from family or friends, if you're losing interest in other things that you used to enjoy, if you game for more than two hours a day, if you have physical pain because of the gaming, if you are blind to the negative consequences of the activity, if you're buying things within the game with real money, which a lot of people do, spend thousands of dollars, if you're playing through mealtime, whether you're eating over the game or just skipping a meal, whether you glorify the game, it's the greatest thing, emotional disturbances when the game is taken away, mood swings, withdrawal symptoms after playing, Continued gaming despite serious real-life consequences. Persistent ability, inability to cut down on gaming time. Increasing time spent over time. Or thinking about the game when you're not playing it. If you can answer yes to four of those, you are a gaming addict, says Kevin Roberts, and you need help. Kevin Roberts also explains, we justify our behavior. He says, just face it, if you say these kind of things, you, you just, just be real. Oh, I'll just play for 15 more minutes. Once I get one of my characters to level 12, then I'll go to bed. I'm just logging on to see if I sold that intergalactic death ray. Remember, they relate to the gaming world as if it's the real world. If I make it to the next level, I'll feel more relaxed and I'll sleep better. Otherwise, I would just think about the game and not be able to sleep. So we justify our behavior, he says. A couple more. I know my 15 minutes are up, but I'm on such a roll. I can't stop now. This is the best I've ever done. I want to stop now, but I can't. The members of my clan are counting on me. I must have had the time wrong because there's no way I've been playing for four hours. If you find yourself saying these things, you might be like Kevin Roberts. You might be in a situation of addiction. 
Philip Zimbardo again, he said this new kind of addictive arousal traps users into an expanded present, hedonistic time zone. Past and future are distant and remote as the present moment expands to dominate everything. That present scene is totally dynamic which Im- with images changing constantly. So your video gaming addict, it's all about the moment. The future, the past don't matter. By the way, as a Christian, when we study our Bibles and we read about redemptive history, like in the one true story I've told you about, the past, those who have gone before us, we have nothing to fear lest we forget those who have gone before us and how God led them in the past. And the future, how about Bible prophecies about last day events, which I've mentioned several times in this, in this seminar. These things are crucial to being a Christian. And if all I have is the moment, this hedonistic or pleasure-filled time zone, then I'm trapped, as Philip Zimbardo says. Gaming addiction is actually a uniquely dangerous addiction compared to others. Gaming addiction is different than food and drugs and gambling and pornography in that it is socially acceptable. It's just a game. It's called a game. How could you object to a game? It's no big deal. It's socially acceptable. Secondly, there's an extreme novelty to a video game. There's endless risk and reward. Third, with, with food and with drugs and with other chemical and, and process addictions, most of the time your brain tells you enough. But with gaming, there's no satiation mechanism. There's no, my stomach is full. There's no, my bloodstream can't take any more of this stuff, I'm going to OD. There's no satiation mechanism, it's just the game goes on and on and on. And so that's why 19 million Americans, according to the American Medical Association, are addicted to gaming. 19 million Americans are addicted to gaming. We make a huge deal out of alcoholism, and we should. I have a family member who's an alcoholic. There's only 12 million alcoholics compared to the 19 million Americans who are addicted to video games. That's the American Medical Association. Serious problem we've got to deal with. And and 83% of American children have a video gaming console in their house. Do we we put alcohol in front of our kids like this? 83% of them. We're wise to a great degree on the alcohol thing in kids. But what about gaming? Now, pornography. Before I talk about pornography for a brief moment, I want to mention most gamers know they're addicted. According to one study in 2002 about a massive multiplayer online game called EverQuest, they studied players of this game and found that over 75% of players admitted that they might have an addiction. So gamers know they're addicted. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com or write to us at 11333 Bacchus Road, Lakeview, Michigan, 48850. Most parents send their children to public schools with the best of intentions. But now more than ever, parents are waking up to the brainwashing that is taking place in today's indoctrination centers, also known as public schools. But it's even worse than merely false worldviews. Did you know that according to the U.S. Department of Education, literally 10% of public school children have been targets of unwanted sexual attention by school employees. It's time to wake up, to come apart and be separate, saith the Lord. The DVD series is called Schooled, the deliberate agenda to reduce individuality, destroy intelligence, and re-engineer society. In Schooled, 
You'll hear it straight from the mouths of the founders of modern schooling themselves. They're quite proud of it. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. For the issue of pornography right now, many people don't know how big of an issue this is because we don't talk about it much, right? Let's take a look at some statistics after we see why it's such a uniquely dangerous addiction. First of all, it's private. You can hide the others to some degree, but but pornography is the easiest to keep private and hidden. It's free and easily accessible. And so, here are the statistics. The average age of first exposure to pornography is age nine. I did a study, a survey just informally with students of mine and asked them to report anonymously when was the first time that they'd ever seen a pornographic image on the internet. These were freshmen in high school in 2013. Only one had never seen it and he had come from a different country. (laughs) It was recently in America. All of the kids that were native born, raised in America had seen it and the average was 8.8. And these are Christian kids in in quite conservative homes on average compared to the average in America. 8.8 years old. According to the studies, we have age nine. So these kids are being assaulted with this super intense imagery that's firing off dopamine levels that are totally unnatural for a nine-year-old to be experiencing. And they just don't know what to do with it and they get into the cycle of addiction because of it. And this is why pornography is used by 87% of college males because they got them early enough. And it's so stimulating. 70% of 18 to 24-year-old men visit pornographic sites in a typical month. And 66% of men in their 20s and 30s also report to being regular users of pornography. How about Christian men? 53% of Christian men in attendance at a Promise Keepers event. Now these are like the fired up for Jesus men going to a baseball stadium to praise God. 53% of them admitted to viewing porn in the previous week. And actually 70% of Christian men in studies and surveys admit to struggling with pornography in their daily lives. And even pastors, 37% of Christian pastors say that it is a current struggle. And 30% of pastors in one survey admitted that they had viewed pornography in the past month. Now, if these are all the numbers of people admitting it in surveys, I can't imagine that these are overstating the case at all. Perhaps they're understating the case. And this is why addicts to pornography are 23 times more likely than others to say the following. Discovering online sexual material was the worst thing that ever happened in my life. Addicts are 23 times more likely to say yes to that statement, to agree with that statement than the rest of us. And it's no surprise. That's kind of a given. There are many people listening to this going, yeah, that's me. I'm totally captured by this thing. I need freedom from this. It's the worst thing that ever happened in my life, and I hate it. I hate that I have to keep doing this, that I feel that I have to keep doing this. And i got to tell you, folks, the reward circuitry in the brain that's firing off these pleasure circuits is the same area of the brain associated with the, with the survival mechanisms. So telling somebody to quit gaming or not look at that pornographic clip is, is like telling their brain to give up survival. That's that captivating. 
It's a very serious pull. And if you're in that situation, go immediately to triplexchurch.com. It's a weird website name, I know. It's not unsafe. It is a Christian website for recovery of pornography. Take their recovery course. Pay for it. Join their recovery groups. You need accountability on this. We're going to talk more about accountability and overcoming addictions in part six. But go immediately to that website. Don't wait another day. You need help, and they'll be there to help you. There are wonderful people there. I've met them. I've, I've, I've talked with the people who run that website, and it's a good group of, of folks. So I want to ask a question now. How does a game designer make the video game so addictive? How do they do it? Well, let's take a look at the, this, this fact here, this quote. The game world is teeming with objects that deliver clearly articulated, what's that word? Rewards, right? More life, more access to new levels, more equipment, new spells, Most of the crucial work in game interface design revolves around keeping players notified of potential rewards available to them and how much those rewards are needed. So they know exactly what they're doing. Get them this reward here, the reward there, and that'll get that that surge, that that pleasure firing off. In fact, they know it's like like, uh, gambling. One anonymous game developer stated, we make it just like gambling. Sometimes you get something, sometimes you don't. And another, we read from... Niels Clark and that rewards are given in video games on a near continuous basis through the gaining of what's called XP or experience points, which allow for your character to level regularly. That means advance in the game. At first, most games hand out these first rewards like some grandparents give out cookies and candy. Kill a bunny, get a shiny new sword and armor. Developing skills, powers, and various other attributes. Now, if in real life you kill some wandering rabbit, all you have is a dead bunny body and a guilty conscience. But the part of your brain that thinks about the world probably understands destroying adorable creatures may not be a foundational life experience. But another part of your brain says, ah, gold, gold good. These reinforcers encourage a person to keep playing. Kill enough fluffy bunnies and you can afford a better weapon and a new piece of armor, meaning you become immediately more powerful, can kill more stuff, go more places, see new things, meet new people, complete quests, all of which open the door to more reinforcement, more rewards. But then something a little tricky happens. Here's how they design the game. Listen to this. The reinforcement system starts to slow down. You have to kill bigger, meaner monsters to earn the XP, the money, and the gear. You don't level so fast. This is where a lot of people find they start to want to play longer and work harder because they've already been conditioned to want the dings that go with having the stuff. So they deliberately make the game so that they give you something easy at first, just like gambling. The casinos did the same thing. Give them a little reward, a little reward. Get them going. Now you've got them captured, and they will need to stay longer in the game in order to earn those rewards because we make it harder. Now, of course, the addictive behavior will then completely take over that reward circuitry of the brain because that's, that's what you've had in your brain. Your, your brain is accustomed to these high levels of dopamine surge from these rewards you're getting. And so then in real life, we don't consistently get dings for every activity we do. We often have to work hard at things for long periods of time and we don't get immediate rewards for it. So what happens is this. They actually become dependent upon receiving external rewards in order to feel motivated. This is why the gamer, the porn addict, loses motivation in life. Even drug addicts, you've known famously, drug addicts are unmotivated people in many cases. One anonymous game designer, speaking of how they do it, discussed with journalists the principle that Madison Avenue uses called the blink rate, where people stop blinking if an ad has their attention. Same here, he said, anonymous game designer being quoted here. If you're into a game, your pupils dilate and the blink rate slows down. 
Now, if you didn't know, this is a process that produces, guess what, dopamine. The game designer knows we're using the blink rate principle. We got to get them fully immersed in that, get their, get their pulse to slow down, the pupils dilate, and, and that way we can get them fully into it. The game designers know what they're doing. Another game designer explained that the job of a video game design was all about the dynamics of using adrenaline. And he said the easiest way to get people's adrenaline rushing is to make the player think that he is going to die. Now while I'm on that, let's take a look at this adrenaline thing. It's called the stress cascade. Your body produces stress hormones when you're in a, a stressful situation like a lion is chasing you or something like this. So you, God has given us the ability to, to be able to use extra hormones to give us strength in an adrenaline rush. Uh, now what happens when you're chasing by a lion is you're exerting physicality in order to get away from that lion or you're fighting it or whatever. But with the game, the only physical motion you're doing is this. So the stress cascade builds up. It puts the body into this fight or flight mode. The digestive system is shut down. The assimilating of nutrients and immune function is shut down. And what, what's happening actually is this lasts for days. And we're going to talk about more of this in, in session six when we talk about spectator sports. But it's a very unhealthy thing for the body. Now let's go beyond addiction. Let's talk about the actual issue of altering your state of consciousness. We talked about this with music. We talked about this with TV and movies. We're now seeing it with the gaming as well. You remember the beta waves from session two. Beta waves are when you have your critical thinking on, moral filters up, self-control, good stuff. But you can enter on down into sort of a new age hypnotic trance with the alpha waves. Well, they've done studies with kids playing video games. And what they found is they took three different groups, non-gamers, regular gamers, and heavy game users, and they had them play a game. And they measured frontal low beta wave activity while playing the game. Now, if you're a non-gamer today, I have good news for you. If you sit down and play a little bit of Mario, you will actually retain beta wave activity while playing. I'm not quite sure why, but you're just not accustomed to it. You don't know how to suspend disbelief and immerse yourself so well. You're just actually kind of in a normal conscious mode. But the regular gamers, when they started playing the game, they slipped out of beta wave activity. Beta waves then returned after the game was turned off. So it's the same thing as the television does with the theatrical style entertainment that we talked about earlier. You begin playing the game as a regular gamer and you enter into losing your beta waves and you're sort of in this meditative trance again. Now the real scary thing was the heavy game users. Listen to this. They lost beta waves too, but their brains remained with little beta wave activity even after the game was over. And they appeared more like somebody suffering from dementia than a normal brain. Akio Mori, the, the one who did this study, said they hardly use the prefrontal region of their brain. I've had a student that said to me, Mr. Ritzman, I heard that slide, and when I heard that one, I was like, that's me. I feel like I'm walking around in a fog half the time. But actually, he got off of gaming largely for a time, only gamed for 20, 30 minutes a day, so he's a regular gaming, gaming player, not a heavy user, and he said, I feel totally different. I don't feel like I'm in that fog that I used to walk around in. So there's some testimony on you about how he was just like in this altered state of consciousness even after the game was over. Very serious. Very serious. Jane McGonigal. She's a top game designer. Now, I don't think most gamers ask, who are the game designers that are producing the games that I'm playing? What influence might they have on me to alter my state of consciousness and be immersed into the world that they've created? Are they Christians? Do they hold the same values as me? Is there some sort of uh, spiritual thing happening here? And in this case, there absolutely is something spiritual happening. Jane McGonigal happens to be a Buddhist and practitioner of New Age or Eastern meditation. And that's not a slam against people who are Buddhists, but I'm not a proponent of using New Age meditation.
We just look to Jesus and we study the word of God and we act in, in that lifestyle. But the, the, the Buddhist mindset of the new age practitioner it wants to empty their mind and enter into sort of an alpha trance. Now here's what she said. She, she, well, first of all, the goal of meditation obviously is to get out of beta waves. And Buddhism believes that the more people you have doing meditation, the better the world will be because people will be all relaxed and peace and love and so on. But here's what she said. She said, if we can get people to game more, play games more, we'll have a better world. So think about that for a second. The Buddhist worldview is, get out of this beta, get into these trances, and we'll have a better world. She's a game designer. She says, game more and we'll have a better world. In other words, get people into a meditative state while they're immersed in the gaming world. But it's not just Jane McGonagall where we look to this as a meditative thing, as a trance thing. We actually see the alpha and the occult from a book about witchcraft by, by some practitioners of the occult. And we read, the science of witchcraft is based upon our ability to enter an altered state of consciousness that we call what? Alpha where the brainwave registers 7 to 14 cycles per second. This is a state of consciousness associated with relaxation, meditation, and dreaming. Here we may also experience out-of-body sensations and psychokinesis, or receive mystical visionary information that does not come through the five senses. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. Imagine you have a switch on the front of your brain, your frontal lobe. You turn on your TV. Within just minutes of you viewing entertainment, theatrical style television, your frontal lobe is completely off. But at the same time, imagine you have a switch in your limbic system. That one turns on. Because theatrical style television is designed to produce a limbic impulse of some kind. Led by the filmmaker into this experience of anger, fear, aggression, lust, sadness, amusement, you name it. What are the long-term effects going to be? This is going to start to destroy you spiritually if you're sowing to the sinful nature. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. Brought to you by Belt of Truth Ministries.org.